For patients with metastatic non-small cell lung cancer, Medexon 14 skipping mutations can occur in 3 to 4% of patients. Met amplification can also occur in other patients. With the recent approval of a new selective inhibitor of the Met receptor, capmatinib, another treatment option may be available for patients. Welcome to Project Oncology on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Jacob Sands, and joining me to talk about the role of capmatinib for metastatic non-small cell lung cancer is Dr. Edward Guerin, a thoracic medical oncologist and professor of medicine at the David Geffen School of Medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles. Dr. Guerin, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. So to start, Dr. Guerin, can you discuss the typical treatment options that existed for patients with a Medexon 14 skipping mutation? Sure. So in patients who were diagnosed with non-small cell lung cancer and Medexon 14 skipping mutation was identified, um, those patients were traditionally eligible for chemotherapy. Um, over time, most patients with who do not have contraindications receive both chemotherapy and immunotherapy. Although there's some data to indicate that, that the outcome of this group of patients is not particularly good with those approaches. Time of progression on frontline chemotherapy or chemoimmunotherapy options were more like second-line docetaxel, which has a reasonable toxicity profile, but fairly difficult and a, and a somewhat a modest overall benefit. And so that's the sort of situation to, into which these MET inhibitors were, were coming when they, they were in clinical development. And now let's take a look at the Geometry Mono 1 study. But before we get into some of the details of that trial, can you give us a little background to the study itself? Sure. So the study that you're referring to is the study that led to the approval of CAPMATNIB. And this is a study that was designed to really comprehensively evaluate MET as an oncogene and treatments that would be effective in treating sort of MET-driven non-small cell lung cancer. So MET is an oncogene that has been studied for decades now. It is the receptor for hepatocyte growth factor. And many of those efforts really had not been successful to date. One of the groups that we had looked at uh, historically with MET were patients who had amplification of the gene. Now, there are a relatively large percentage of patients with non-small cell lung cancer who have some increase in the the number of copies of the MET gene, Um, but very high copies are fairly uncommon. So interestingly, in sort of the early days of defining oncogenes in non-small cell lung cancer, we were um, often looking, for instance, at whole exome sequencing, looking at all of the DNA that codes for an eventual protein, because our sense was that if you were going to have an abnormality that would be druggable, of course, you would have to have a mutation or genomic abnormality in the coding region of a gene. But Medexon 14 skipping is a little bit different in that portion of the DNA doesn't end up making it into the eventual protein, whereas typically it would. And the reason this is an issue is that the missing portion is integral in the destruction of MET. So basically, there's an impeded ability to get rid of MET. And over time, that emerged as a a potential vulnerability that's seen in probably somewhere near 4% of patients with non-small cell lung cancer. Okay, so within the background now of you had mentioned 
that these patients maybe have a worse prognosis in general when treating with what had been the standard of care options, particularly chemotherapy, and then more recently also with immunotherapy. And now looking at next line and the consideration of docetaxel, which in many cases, uh, although had been the standard for a long time, I, I know in many cases we are now not as enthusiastic about having to uh, go to docetaxel in the second line setting. Let's turn to some of the results now of the geometry mono one trial. Can you maybe give us an overview of the findings from the trial, and then we can dive into some of the details? Sure. So the geometry mono one study was really a study that looked at met uh, sort of across the board. We looked at some patients who had, for instance, low-level amplification, some patients who had medium-level amplification, some patients who had high-level amplification. Interestingly, the drug does have activity, particularly in patients who have high-level amplification of MET, but that activity was not sufficient to get the drug approved. Where the activity was greater was among patients who had Medicon 14 skipping. That was a group that approximately 40% of patients who were previously treated responded. Again, as you mentioned, certainly when compared to the risk-benefit profile of docetaxel or docetaxel-based chemotherapy, which certainly has its tolerability difficulties, that, that was considered quite good. And the response rate in the patients who were treatment naive was more in the 70% range. The progression-free survival was reasonable in that group, and, the, and many of these patients had good duration of response, which obviously is something that we look at more over time as we sort of hope in the era of targeted therapy that not only will patients respond to therapy, but that that response uh, will be long-lasting. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Project Oncology on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Jacob Sands, and I'm speaking with Dr. Edward Guerin about the Geometry Mono 1 trial and the role of catmatinib for metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. Now, Dr. Guerin, so we've gone over kind of the overview of some of the details of the trial, and of course, this did lead to FDA approval, as you've mentioned. Um, let's dive into some of the nuance of it. Is there anything about this that you think is worth pointing out as far as subpopulations, and how will this impact, or how does this impact your perspective on standard of care and when to utilize this? Sure. So one thing that is different about medics on 14 skipping as opposed to some of the driver mutations that have been more traditional. The patients with Medexon 14 skipping mutation are more similar to lung cancer patients in general. They're older, the median age is in the early 70s, right around the median age of lung cancer in general, perhaps partly because smoking prevalence was higher when these patients were younger. They're a little more likely to be smokers than patients who have, for instance, EGFR or ALK genomic abnormalities. Other things to note is that because the testing is a little more complicated, you know, good uh, molecular tests will certainly test for Medexon 14 skipping, but there are tests, unfortunately, that will return a MET result that is not assessing for Medexon 14 skipping, which is the targetable mutation here. And I think that's something for which we have to be watchful. The other thing to know is that in some of your patients who maybe um, a, a couple of years ago or, or more did have genomic testing, it is certainly possible that they had what at the time was comprehensive testing for genomic abnormalities and were sort of considered to be quote-unquote pan-negative, but now in fact do have a Medexon 14 skipping mutation and, um, and, and can be offered a targeted therapy. And that in fact um, is something that I, I have certainly seen in my, in my practice. And to add to that, let's say you're meeting a new patient, you're sending testing, and prior to any therapy, you're now noting a Medexon 14 skipping mutation. How would that alter your treatment at that time? 
under most circumstances, I have been using capmatinib as my frontline option in these. There is an additional issue that we know that capmatinib, like other tyrosine kinase inhibitors, has been um, somewhat both difficult to combine with a PD-1 or PD-L1 inhibitor. And actually, there's some data to indicate that patients are going to be likely to have an increased risk of toxicity if they got a prior PD-1 or PD-L1 inhibitor um, or other immunotherapies. So in, in totality, when going through all of that, in most cases, when I know they have a medexon 14 skipping mutation, I have started with capmatinib um, rather than the combination of, for instance, chemotherapy and immunotherapy. So one thing I would certainly want clinicians to know is that, that they should remember that there, this tends to often be an elderly population. And that although capmatinib is in general well-tolerated at the 400 milligram twice-a-day dose that is approved, especially in patients who are in their late 80s or early 90s, I often will start at a reduced dose. Some of the toxicities like lower extremity edema can be difficult, particularly in this quite old patient population. I have reduced the dose prior to starting. So I imagine that's very encouraging for many to hear. Uh, patients in their late 80s, early 90s, still a treatment option that can benefit one's quality of life. I, I find that to be a surprise to many. And so it's really important that these patients end up seeing their oncologist to, dis to discuss these options. Because if patients don't go in to be seen, then these things can't be looked for and, and options are, are not known in that setting. Yes, and I, I'd like to follow up on that point because I, I think that historically there has been a, a sense among primary care physicians and uh, even pulmonologists that um, for patients in this age range that you almost want to protect them from the oncologist. You, you want to prevent them from having the toxicities of traditional chemotherapy. Um, and I think that with a drug like capmatinib, the, the, that, that becomes somewhat silly. The, the disease itself has significant toxicities, and to be able to treat a patient and have better disease control for a longer period of time is likely to both uh, allow a person to live, live longer, but also um, should be helpful from a quality perspective rather than harmful. Yeah, such an important statement. When you are seeing a new patient, how are you ordering genomic testing? And just talking from the beginning, uh, what everybody should know about the importance of genomic testing and how you do that. And the gold standard is still tissue. Medexon 14 skipping can be picked up on, um, on liquid biopsy, but the accuracy to date remains better with a tissue-based biopsy. I think that I would caution the listeners, there are somewhat limited regulations with respect to diagnostic companies. And I certainly would want to know if I get a result on that to see specifically that they test for Medexon 14 skipping. Well, I appreciate that excellent overview of MET exon 14 skipping mutation, MET amplification, and capmatinib in particular. Dr. Garen, I'd like to leave you with the last word. Any final takeaways that you'd like to leave with our audience today? Yeah, I think that it's exciting that there are new options. Both uh, capmatinib and dipotinib are approved in patients with metaxon 14 skipping. There is an additional drug, savalitinib, which has also been extensively developed as a potential uh, approach in patients with EGFR mutations at the time of progression. Some of those patients do have metamplification, and that is a very active area of research. And so if you do get data on patients, for instance, who have other driver mutations and have uh, subsequent testing showing 
med amplification, consider referring them for clinical trials in your area. If you have patients who have received the approved agents with MedXM14, skipping mutations, just to know that there are clinical trials looking to improve on the currently available approaches. And finally, that in terms of amplification, although there are no approved agents for med amplification, to know that that can be a true driver for patients and that to consider a referral of patients like those for clinical trials. And as I say, there is some data to indicate efficacy, particularly in patients with high-level med amplification, at least in the geometry study that was defined by patients who had gene copy number of 10 or greater. Well, with those final words about the increasing options with MedExon 14 skipping mutation and the importance of clinical trial enrollment, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Edward Guerin, for joining me today to share his insights. Dr. Guerin, it was wonderful having you on the program. Thank you very much for having me. I'm Dr. Jacob Sands. To access this and other episodes in our series, visit reachmd.com slash projectoncology, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.